This is Moral of the Story. Interesting people telling short stories, then breaking them down to see what works and what doesn't. I am your host, Max Trapovsky. Today's episode, we have Mark Landsberg, who is the CEO of Social Deviant, which is modern agency for modern brands. Uh, Mark has actually had entrepreneurship in his blood. He started uh, digital knowledge assets with former Twitter CEO Dick Costello. Uh, he was the CEO, CEO of MRM and ARC. Um, uh, MRM was part of McCann and ARC was a part of Leo Burnett. And so uh, through that, he has uh, over 25 years of marketing, advertising, and M&A experience. And then he founded uh, Social Deviant, which has been crushing it and just celebrated their eighth birthday. Uh, Thanks for being on the show, Mark. Yeah, thank you for having me, Max. So we are here for you to tell us a story. Great. Before you get into the story, set the stage. So anything that the, the audience should know about the story before you start. Well, the first thing is I have to say is, you know, I come from a long line of storytellers. My dad was uh, an inveterate storyteller. I don't think he ever just made a sentence. Everything was a story. And so I grew up, you know, literally listening to my dad, uh, my grandfather, my uncles just tell these stories, whether it was of their upbringing or of their day or of their friendships or of their university days. Um, and so I really grew up understanding the art of storytelling and really being enthralled by it. Um, I'll set this story up. So I travel all over. I tell a lot of stories. Um, and, I, and I'll set this up by saying I travel a lot. I filled three passports. This uh, happened about three or four years ago. And uh, with Social Deviant, I'm on the road every week, and often I'm on the road outside of the U.S. So I've got some, you know, frames of reference. And this story was uh, from a time that I was in London. And, uh, and it was really fascinating because the setup here is just I've spent a lot of time in London. I've spent a lot of time in London during the festive season. And something happened that was quite unusual. So that's a little bit of the backdrop. And, uh, and, and here's what happened. So I love to go to London and I love to go to London during the festive season, holiday season. Everybody is cheery. Everybody is cheerful. Everybody is in holiday attire and it's just fantastic. And so one night I'm in London during the festive season or in middle December um, and uh, have a client dinner. And then after that dinner, I go hook up with some mates that used to work for me that are based in London and say, come on, Mark, we'll go out. We'll go to a few pubs, which we did. The trick with London, though, is that pubs close at 11. So uh, we were not ready to stop pubbing, if you will, uh, at 11. And so they said, well, there's a few places we can go that are open after hours or late pubs. So I said, that sounds brilliant. So we go to this other place. We hop in a taxi. Next thing I know, we're in this a club, a pub that is chock-a-block. It's shoulder to shoulder. There's a lot of people. It's festive. It's bumping. It's bouncing. People are drinking and it's super fun. And so I get some pints for my mates and we raise a glass. And all of a sudden I look over across the room and there's about 15 people, very similarly dressed, and they all have name tags. So I'm like, hey, I just assume that Maybe it's a company party. It's the holiday season. So I go over and I say, hey, everybody. Hey, my name's Mark. I'm, I'm a Yank. I'm from the States. Um, happy holidays. Mm, no one responds to me. They, they just literally look away. No one even looks my way. So I, I sort of walk back to my mates. I'm like, oh, that was kind of weird. And they're like, come on, Mark. No one doesn't ever talk to you. You got to go try again, mate. So I walk back over and I say, hey, hey happy holidays, everyone. My name's Mark. I'm from the States. Uh, what are you guys doing here? Do you all work together? You must be from the same company. Can I buy everybody a pint? And not only do they not look my way, but they go shoulder to shoulder and sort of close off. 
And it's kind of weird. I can't even make eye contact. So I walk back over to my mates and I say, guys, okay, here's the deal. Uh, I know I've gotten the cold shoulder before, but this is ridiculous. 15 people who not only won't look my way, but are literally courting themselves off from me. Like, oh, come on, mate, you got to go try again. I'm like, yeah, I do. So, of course, I walk back over the third time. Like, all right, all right, everyone. I tap one person on the shoulder. I'm like, come on, someone's got to say their name. You or you. My name's Mark. Who wants a pint? And they look at me um, with like daggers. And I realize I've, I so no response. I walk back over and I turn my back and I'm get, drinking a pint. I'm just about to share this story with my mates. And all of a sudden I feel a tap on my shoulder. And I turn around and it's one of the people from the group with a name tag. And she says, excuse me, excuse me. And I turn around and I say, oh, hey, yes, hi, I'm Mark. And she says, excuse me, you have to do us a huge favor. And I say, anything, what, you, buy you the cocktail, right? And she says, no, I'm begging you to please leave us alone. Please stop talking to us. And I say, oh my God, what, what's, what's the problem? And she says, well, you have to understand we are actually not from a company. We're from a meetup group, a meetup group of incredibly socially awkward people that hate being in public spaces. And we've been practicing for a year. And this is our night out at the end of the year to practice being in a public space. And our greatest fear is having a stranger talk to us. So I beg you, I implore you, I beseech you, please leave us alone. And she turns around and walks away. And my buddies are cracking up. And I turned to them and said, oh, my God, that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. After three tries, I finally realized I did, in fact, need to leave them alone. Oh, my God. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? But, but if this was their night out, weren't, wasn't this actually great practice for them to have somebody come up to them? I think what I came to understand was the practice was just being in the public space. That was after a year of being together in these meetings. This was their moment to actually just be in a public space. I guess phase two might have been to actually engage with someone. Um, they looked so uncomfortable and I just couldn't understand why until she finally said, we're not from a company. We're from a meetup group of very socially awkward people that can't stand being in public places. <laughs> and so it's funny, Max, you know, I so I've thought a lot about it. And, um, you know, you asked, well, let's talk about the story. There's a, there's a couple things that are that I think are important in storytelling. And maybe this one has those dimensions. You know, one is mm, there's some relatability. We've all been in situations that you think it's one thing and it's yet another thing and it might be awkward for us. The second is that, you know, all great stories have a little bit of suspense. So as I'm telling that story, you sort of want to know, well, what is going on? Yeah. What's with these people? Um, the third is that there is some comedic relief. There's actually a sort of a funny twist at the end, uh, which is always kind of nice when there might be a comedic component to a story. Uh, the fourth is it, it doesn't drone on. Uh, the fifth is that there's an emotional resonance. You can, you can feel for these people a little bit. You can sort of feel for me. Uh, trying to connect with them. And the six is that, you know, you can and probably want to share it. It's simple. It's easy to tell. You can remember it. Um, and then, as I said, it's relatable. You can make a, a connection with it. Um, for me, one of the things, a great part of storytelling is being a little self-effacing, a little self-deprecating. So, you know, I, I'm saying, look, I, I obviously was the bad actor in that moment, unbeknownst to me, which is even more sort of funny, humorous, and I think, and I think relatable. Yeah, it's almost like like oblivious to the, the fact that the answer could be so far outside what you would have considered. Well, that's exactly right. And, and you know, 
and a couple of lessons, you know, you were asking me, like, is there a takeaway or two? A couple of things. One, just for me personally, I'm always learning about trying to be more attentive, especially when you're outside of the United States. You know, right. uh, a good moral for me is two ears, one mouth. Just try to be attentive to the situation. Clearly, in that case, um, I wasn't attentive. The second is just to be self-aware. You know, when someone doesn't talk to me, that's like a red bull to a cape, uh, 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 you know, a, a cape, a red cape to a bull, excuse me. Like I, I need to then get them to talk to me. And a good lesson is, no, I don't. I don't. Be a little bit more self-aware. If someone clearly isn't in a position or a moment to engage, uh, let it be. I, I think the third takeaway is, you know, you just can't, you can't make any assumptions. You, you know, we all have a cross to bear. You, you don't know what's going on for someone. You just can't assume. I made a very blunt assumption that they were at a company party and just didn't want to talk to an American. It, it couldn't have been further from the truth. Make no assumptions. Don't judge the book by the cover. Be self-aware and be attentive. And I think the last moral for me is it, it's, it's seldom about my agenda. And I've got to learn not to make it. My, my agenda was to engage them and buy them a, a holiday cocktail. That was the opposite of their agenda. Their agenda was to avoid people like the plague and especially me. And it's just uh, uh, funny in retrospect as I, the, the more they avoided me, the more I was insistent on engaging them. And, uh, and I've just learned from that, you know, be sensitive, be self-aware, be attentive to the situation um, and make sure that it's not my agenda. That's fascinating. Cause I, I feel like when people are younger, they believe that they're at the center of the universe. Totally. And then as they get older, they realize it's actually their universe that they're at the center of, but everybody has their own. And in everybody else's universe, they're just a speck. It's so true. I mean, this is the thing, like <clears throat> we tend to walk around the world assuming that, you know, everybody has our agenda. Um, and the reality is they do not. They have their own agenda. Um, you know, and, and I've just learned more and more. I think a good lesson for me especially when you're outside of the United States. Two ears, one mouth, be attentive, be self-aware, don't impose yourself. Americans tend to um, be a little bit louder, be more abrupt, be more specific, be more engaging. Um, and it's, it's a cultural thing. And so, you know, I've traveled enough to just be very business aware, uh, be very self-aware, not impose my agenda. And I, I try to translate that, you know, to the lessons back here at Social Deviant. Have you... Of all the times you've told that story, have you had to tweak it a little bit because, you know, maybe some parts might not get uh, the response that you wanted? Well, you know, it's funny. I, I, it's a great question. Actually, I haven't really tweaked it because um, it's fairly self-explanatory. I think the only thing is I get somewhat variable reaction on the on the, the nature of the meetup group, because what tends to happen is there are two classes of people that listen to that story you relate to me or you relate to the meetup group, you know? And so, so that, that's, what's great about that story is it's relatable. You can either say, I'm that person that doesn't like when people talk to me. I'm that person that has to get people to talk to me. And so uh, either side of that equation, it's relatable and you can sort of start to sympathize with the other side. And so I think that's, what's kind of nice about that. So I, I tell it as is, and I just find that people's reactions tend to fall in, in one or the other camp in both cases, they find it humorous. In both cases, they see that I probably could have done a better job, but I was harmlessly at fault. 
I wasn't, I didn't understand that if I'd knew that, known that they were a meetup group, I assume I would have left them alone. But the, the fact that they didn't tell me just made it more enticing for me to figure out what's going on. And so uh, I think it's a, I think it's an excellent story in the sense that it's relatable. Uh, there's sort of, there are harmless errors along the way. Yeah. You can relate on either side of the equation and there's some takeaways that you can apply. For sure. Um, if we, if we step back and look at storytelling uh, overall, what do you think makes for a good story? Yeah, I love that question. As I said, I grew up in a long line of storytellers. I, I think there's a few things from my chair. One is <clears throat> it has to be a story that I care about. So there has to be some resonance. You know, when people start to tell you a story about their, their bad commute or their horrible boss, it might relate to you, but at some point you just tune out because it's just, it just, you don't want to hear about it. So I think there has to be, you know, a little bit of emotional connection. The second is it has to have a beginning, middle and an end. There has to be a really a, a story arc. The third is it has to be time bound. No one wants to listen to someone tell a story and drone on and on and on about themselves. The fourth is, and I think great stories have a little bit of suspense, like they keep you moving, you, you stay engaged, you want to know what's going to happen, there's going to be some reveal, and, uh, and the best stories are an unexpected reveal, that's even better. Uh, the fifth is where, as I said, there's, there's some emotional resonance where I can connect to that story, it's relatable to my experience. I think the next is that it's, uh, it's just true. You know, you can tell when pe people always embellish a little bit with a story, but that story is exactly what happened. I, I barely embellish. In fact, if anything, I, I, uh, I cut it short a little bit. I went back maybe another time. And so it just has to it just has to be valid and speak truth. And then the last is, I think, a great component of storytelling is that you, you care about it and that you want to share it so that, you know, it's memorable to you. It relates to you in some way. There's some emotional resonance. Um, you can connect to it and, and you probably want to share it because it has some meaning for you. For sure. That makes you more excited to tell the story anyway. Yeah, totally. And, and, and you know, I've told uh, I've told stories and, and, and I think the last thing, Max, is, <clears throat> you know, you, great storytellers know the point of a story. And by that, I mean, it isn't just a story that goes out into the ether and you do or don't get it. Um, a lot of my stories make a point they, and they should make a singular point. If a story is meant to make three or four points, it's too much and it gets too complicated. You want the listener to have one takeaway, one single takeaway from that one single, simple, relatable story. And so in that one, you know, for me, the takeaway is just, hey, just be self-aware. It's not always your agenda. Everybody's got a cross to bear. Everybody's got something going on. And just be aware of that. Like, that's a simple takeaway. Does a story have to have a point? You know, I will say that the best stories, any story that I care about has a point. Um, and it can be it can be a humorous point. It can be um, an emotional point. Um, but but I think they do have to have a single point and a single takeaway, I think, to make it a great story. I mean, if you look at the greatest storytellers through time, you know, there's usually a point that you can connect with and and uh, and a point that you take away. Mm -hmm. So you have had to tell stories verbally, in writing, through video, experientially. Yeah. What is your, if you had to pick a medium of choice to that's tell a, stories? That's a great question. What would it be? You know, it's a great question. And uh, um, it's a Sophie's choice because, you know, I'm in the business of storytelling. And sometimes it's visual storytelling. 
Uh, obviously, sometimes it's oral storytelling as we're doing now or some combination. Um, I, I think it really just depends on the story and the audience and the context. I think the art of oral storytelling is being lost a little bit. We're such a visual society. Video is rampant. If you look at any social platform, you know, there's no um, there's no sort of Facebook or Instagram of just uh, of just, you know, audio. Um, but podcasts are really popular. And I think that there's um, the, the, the great thing about a podcast is it's like reading the book as opposed to watching the movie. You can visualize as I'm telling you that story in that pub in London. You're picturing it. You're, you're thinking about what those people look like. You're you're imagining my reaction. You're you're seeing the expression on my mates faces every time I go back. And I think that just creates this this sort of imagination, depth and complexity to a story that I think is really powerful. So it's a long answer. I've avoided the question. I think it's just place and time. And when we love all storytelling and I, and I think that, you know, Max, every story for me uh, has a singular takeaway. I remember I was applying to business school many, many years ago and it was holiday time. I seem to tell a lot of stories about around the holiday time. And uh, I was applying to a prestigious East Coast business school. And and I was sitting there chatting with a receptionist. And I was just making small talk, waiting for the interview with the admissions director. And I just said, um, hey, are you, what are you doing for the holidays you, the, the, to the receptionist? And she said, well, I live with my family. And um, every year we chop down a Christmas tree and we decorate the tree. And Mark, what about you? Are you going to get a Christmas tree? And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm Jewish. And she said, oh, well, you know, they're not that expensive. <laughs> I said, I said, wow. Right. And I was like, oh, my God, no, no, that's it's not the point. She she had no idea. She's like, no, no, they're like twenty five to forty dollars. And I said, no, no. Oh, oh, I get it. No. See. And then I just stopped like, that's hilarious. So I called my dad. I'm like, dad, this is the funniest thing. You're like, my point is, you, you you know, you can't be offended. So what I what I found in that story is it's it's humorous is just self deprecating. Like I I I'm never offended by that story because it's just funny. She, she was just speaking truth. She had no ill will at all. She was just trying to explain that, uh, you know, they weren't that expensive. And so I try to find sort of the humor or the insight in all stories. If people park their ego and not be offended, then I think they can relate to stories a little bit better. I love that. Uh, you know, when you were talking about, when you were talking about uh, the, fact that people are imagining what the club looks like and the group of people with name tags, what they look like. It, it actually got me thinking that stories that are told verbally like books involve the audience more because they leave some, they give you the facts, they set the stage, but you in your head kind of create that world. And I wonder if that actually makes it a little bit more engaging because you have to do more work as the audience. That's right. And I think that's why, you know, that's why people love to read books because you're, you're not only bringing your own experiences and emotions to it, but you're also, you're picturing each scene and each character, even when they're described, you're still adding your own imagery. Um, I always talk about, you know, sometimes like I love really specific stories. I think the more specific, the better. One of my standard mantras of life is just life in the specific. I can say to you, hey, Max, there's this new Chinese restaurant. You should really go try it. Or I can say, hey, Max, there's this new Chinese restaurant um, and it's on South Halstead. And here's the deal. They order in fresh Peking duck every other day and it's so succulent and they make their own hoisin sauce. 
and they slice the green onions per order and they make their own flat pancakes. Um, and you can smell it when you walk by and it is so succulent and so moist and so warm and so tender that you go crazy for it. I could, I could describe it in those, one of those two ways. And um, if, if for those of you listening, Max is smiling and I think he's going to eat some Chinese food for lunch. For sure. And so the point is, you know, there's, as I'm describing that, you're picturing it. If I just say there's a good Chinese restaurant, you should try, they've got good duck. That doesn't really resonate. You don't picture it. When I start to describe it, even though I'm giving you the description, it still requires you to picture it, to visualize it, to relate your own experiences to it, and to it draw your own conclusions about it. So actually, in oral storytelling, the more specificity just creates the more opportunity for you to be specific in your mind about what it can actually look like, feel like, taste like. Yeah, most definitely. So last question, uh, what advice would you give to aspiring storytellers? Yeah, I think that for me, there's one, one singular bit of advice, which is just be attentive to your audience. I think so many people think, hey, this is my story, my experience, and, you know, just sit down and listen around the fireside. But I think I always am attentive to the audience. Hey, why would someone be interested in the story? Um, how would they connect to it? Um, what would the takeaway be? Why would they care about it? And the, the more I'm attentive to the audience uh, and to their attention span and to the topics that matter to them, the more the story will resonate, will have some impact on them, maybe even the intended impact that I have. So the, the one bit of advice I would, I would say to everybody who wants to be a good storyteller is just start with your audience. I love it. What a great way to end the episode. Start with your audience and end with your audience. <laughs> Mark Landsberg, CEO of Social Deviant. For more info on Mark and his adventures, check out the website. We'll have links to uh, his company and his bio. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for Moral of the Story. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Mark, thank you for being on the show. Max and the audience, thank you for having me. Talk to you next time.